I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Studies show that if you go to college after a gap year, you have a much better chance of a four-year graduation rate. Now, you know already that different learners often need to just slow down a little bit at college and do it in five or six years, but they go in better equipped and better prepared and more mature. For a different learner, especially, I would argue that a year of maturation after high school is a huge, huge deal. It really can make a difference in executive functioning and study habits in socializing. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. This week's episode, we're talking about what we often call in the neurodivergent space, long runways for our emerging young adults, specifically alternative paths for differently wired students who are graduating high school, but may not either be ready for a typical college experience or for whom college isn't part of the plan. To talk about it, I brought college admissions coach Dave Marcus back to the show. You may have listened to our episode from a few years back where we talked about how the college admissions process and criteria was shifting as a result of the COVID pandemic. We do get a little update from Dave on the admissions landscape, but most of this episode is dedicated to considering other options for students, including gap years, apprenticeships, taking a few classes at a community college, and most importantly, slowing the whole launching process down to support kids who would really benefit from extra time to develop and grow, recover from mental health challenges, de-stress, and more. The spirit of this conversation is an important reminder that every student's journey is different, and it's so important that we don't compare our kids' paths to others, but rather get curious about what would most support their unique timeline and strengths. Before we dive in, here's a little bit more about my guest. David Marcus has been a journalist, author, and teacher, and he covered education as a reporter for U.S. News Magazine and Newsday in New York. He's the author of a book about college admissions called Acceptance, and a book about struggling teens called What It Takes to Pull Me Through. 
His passion is helping students and parents find balance and joy throughout the process of planning for what comes next after high school. Thanks so much. And now here is my conversation with David Marcus. Hey, Dave, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I think the landscape has changed so much. And last time you were on the show, it was mid-pandemic or maybe early in the pandemic, how the college application process is different. But now we're going to talk about the landscape in general. But before we get into all of that, if you wouldn't mind just taking a few minutes and reintroducing yourself, tell us a little bit about the work that you do and why. I am a college admissions coach and speaker on how to get into college, how to succeed in college, and to our point today, when you should consider an alternative to college for a year or two or longer. The way I got into it is I have a son who is now 27, who has some learning differences, an incredible intuitive kid who's amazing with animals and people. He did go to college, but ultimately he decided to do take a different path and work. I can talk about that later, but he's thriving and that's the important thing. So I'm very empathetic, very understanding, I think, to parents of families who have different learners. I'm still looking for the right phrase, but you for years have been saying differently wired. I like that too. He's differently wired in some ways, but he is really a success story in every way. So that's one thing. Now, the other thing is coincidentally, well, before he was born, I was an education journalist. I worked at the Miami Herald covering schools. I worked at a bunch of newspapers and U.S. News Magazine, which is famous for its rankings of colleges, covering higher ed, covering high school, covering transitions, covering struggling teenagers. Then, which actually was almost three years ago, amazingly, I wrote a book about struggling teens who went to a school that gave them therapy They had internet addictions, they had drug addictions, they had all kinds of learning issues also. And they just were having trouble fitting in at home, fitting in at school. Really powerful, wonderful kids. And I spent a year and a half or so being a volunteer teacher, but really writing a book about them. And the title is a little bit cumbersome, but it's on my website. We can point people that way later. It's called What It Takes to Pull Me Through. So that led to a book tour around the country. Then a few years later, I was writing a series of stories for Newsday on Long Island about an amazing counselor at a school helping kids of all abilities get into college. And that led to a book, my second book, which we're talking about today in a lot of ways called Acceptance. And that in turn sent me back to California, to Florida, to Georgia, to New Hampshire, Vermont, et cetera, on book tour talking about acceptance, talking about how to get into college, but also to our point today, how the landscape is changing, how the work is changing. So because I was doing pro bono free counseling for people, when I was on the road, people started asking me, offering to pay me to counsel their kids and their families about how to get in, how to succeed. Some of the kids are actually differently wired. A lot of them are. They have ADHD, they have dyslexia, they have some depression sometimes, uh, uh, comorbid things, really, really cool kids. So I do not claim to be an expert. I claim to be a parent who cares about this stuff and who tries to help other people with it. That's a great introduction. And yeah, listeners, definitely check out the show notes page. And I'll have a link to our conversation that we had. Yeah, it was I just looked it up. It was November of 2020. So almost three years ago, and a very different time in the world and what we were all going through. And we did talk a lot about specifically the college application process. But I'd love to know now that we're 
I guess for all intents and purposes through the pandemic, we could kind of say that. Let's just touch base on what is different, if anything, in terms of what the process for applying and choosing and sorting that if a student is college bound, what has changed where we are now? Well, it's so interesting. I was talking to you when that was really the first, we were just entering the first season of students applying to college during the pandemic. And it was all new and scary. And I was talking to you about SAT, ACT exams being canceled willy nilly around the country, being impossible to schedule them, having to go to classes in Zoom in high school. So usually my crystal ball is pretty terrible, frankly, but actually I was quite right. I told you that college admissions would be upended, would be really different. And in fact, there's so much different now. For one thing, and this actually is really advantageous, I think, to differently wired kids often, the colleges are now test optional or test blind or test flex, test flexible in hundreds of cases. So you have a lot of kids who are differently wired who do great on tests, but you also have kids who get nervous or who get tests, who panic or who can't sit still. So not only are the tests not necessary at so many colleges, but also the SAT college board, which gives us the SAT, maybe coincidentally, but I don't think this is really related to pandemic. It's related to some pressure from parents and so forth. They're changing the SAT. So this coming season, it's going to go digital. And that's a huge difference. And that's a really good advantage to kids like the ones I work with. Instead of sitting for three hours, it'll be two hours. Now, if you get extra time, that's fine. But it's just less time of test taking. It will be digital. It'll be adaptive, which means it'll sort of respond to the questions you answer correctly and give you questions related and put you on a path. The reading passages will be more concise. And each one will have just one multiple choice question about it. And the students will have a wider access to all kinds of tools, including they can bring a graphing calculator for the whole time. This is going to be a big deal. And the in the initial sort of rollout, they say they surveyed students who overwhelmingly found it less stressful, which again, speaks to differently wired kids. So I don't want to go into all the reasons this, things are different, but I will tell you that Colleges, I think, have done a sort of an experiment that they were forced into. As we talked about, there was sort of a shortage of overseas, of international kids for a while during the pandemic. They were forced to sort of dig deeper into the ranks of Americans applying. And in fact, guess what? They found out that differently able, different learners could and did succeed at college. That is super interesting. First of all, that's really cool about the SAT, the way the test is changing. And as someone whose child just took for AP tests, also from the College Board, I could see how that would have been a much smoother process if those tests were also (laughs) digital instead of having to write code by hand. But I'm wondering then, has it impacted how students are selecting schools and making decisions? And maybe that goes both ways. Are students getting more creative about the types of schools they might be looking at? And are schools getting more expansive in terms of the students that they're considering bringing in? Yes and yes. And I should also remind people of what I said almost three years ago, which is that my book, Acceptance, is about this counselor who works on pretty high pressure Long Island, North Shore of Long Island. But He likes to say that when it comes to applying to college, it's not about the brand, it's about the fit. And so that has not changed for me and for, but I would say that the people I have worked with, the people I talk to who are applying are a little bit more open 
to colleges are kind of outside the favorite window decal kind of 40, 50 schools. They're interested in schools. I mean, there's a variety of things that affect the parents and the families that you speak to, but not only those families. For example, because of COVID, some families are actually more eager to have their kids within two or three hours of driving. I just talked to a mom whose kid is differently wired and he takes eight meds a day. So when she was looking at colleges, she said she wanted a two hour radius from home because every week she goes and drops off the meds and she puts them in pillboxes and sorts them for him. That's a very reasonable thing. I think are very reasonable things, but other families just don't want their kids after a pandemic. They don't want their kids flying six hours across the country. So a lot has changed. And I also am finding that some families are looking at smaller colleges because they just feel that with the pandemic, they were worried about, they they started thinking about their kids sort of needing a little more hands-on interaction with staff and faculty. So all those things are, are playing into the decisions that your audience will make or will think about, even if they have just seventh or eighth graders, they're going to start thinking about these issues. There's no easy answer. There's no right answer for everybody, obviously, but it is really making, forcing a rethinking of things. As you're describing that, to me, that sounds like a positive that where parents and families are just looking more broadly at schools instead of maybe just honing in and getting their heart set on these, if they have a high achieving kid really going for these big ones. And then we know the admittance rates are so tiny for those. So this sounds like a positive change. I would love to pivot our conversation and talk about some alternative paths for students who aren't either going directly to college or may not go to college at all. And we'll do that as soon as we get back from this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. 
Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60tilt at greenchef.com slash 60tilt. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. So I'd like to talk about alternative paths, again, whether that's a delay of college or, or other roads that our kids can go down. And I'd like to start by talking about gap years. I've never actually done a show about gap years. My kid is taking a gap year. I would love to know just as a baseline to start, why do you think gap years can be such a good option for some students? Okay, well, you happen to be speaking to one of my favorite subjects, we have decided in this country that we have to be in lockstep, right? You go through 12th grade and then you go into four years of college and then you go into job. And, but in many other countries, there's a gap year. In Israel, there's a year, there's a couple years of service. In Australia, people will go off and travel around the world. If I was in charge of U.S. policy, I would make it mandatory for every student, every everybody who is 18 or graduating from high school to do a year of service, but I'm not in charge. So I will tell you, it's a great thing, especially for different learners, I think, to either pick up social cues or to work on some academic area or to work on learning a language if they're capable of learning a language. And some of them don't like doing that. I get that. But I think it's so important. And then studies show that if you go to college after a gap year, you have a much better chance of a four-year graduation rate. Now, you know already that different learners often need to just slow down a little bit at college and do it in five or six years, but they go in better equipped and better prepared and more mature. For a different learner especially, I would argue that a year of maturation after high school is a huge huge deal. It really can make a difference in executive functioning and study habits in socializing, as I said. So first of all, we'll talk about that. Then we'll talk about not college. I will say that I find it really reassuring that a bunch of students I've been working with are thinking about gap years because the pandemic really threw them for a loop. So I tell people that families that they should really have a plan the gap year consists of traveling. It can consist of working in a restaurant. It can consist of taking courses at community college, but it definitely needs an intellectual component, something that challenges the student in creative ways or thinking ways or learning ways. I will also tell you that different learners I've worked with say to me, you keep saying travel is a great thing, but I can't spend a semester in some other country. I can't because, again, because they have medicines, they have routines, they have, I realize that there's no one-size-fits-all gap year, especially for different learners. But a year of growing up, of doing something, of giving back and doing service, which we all should be doing anyway in this country at age 18, is a great thing. Then when you apply to college, you have a better story to tell. First of all, you can apply as a 12th grader, but if you do and you don't get into the right place or you wait, 
then you're telling them, hey, I'm applying. And by the way, this year, I decide that I'm going to be working at a nursing home and getting to know older people and telling their stories. This year, I'm going to be tutoring little kids. This year, whatever it may be, I'm going to be holding a job and being responsible and showing up at six in the morning and, and working, volunteering, whatever it may be, taking courses at the local community colleges. I said, so I think that's a fantastic thing. And there are many gap programs. If you Google them, you don't have to invent your own gap year. But you can. And a community college or a local, uh, even a four-year college is a great way to start by taking some courses. And a job is a great thing for everybody to have. It happens to be that a lot of places are paying 25 bucks an hour, which isn't bad for an 18-year-old and looking for kids. My gosh, if I had gotten paid $25 an hour at the movie theater, I think I made $3.85 and I thought I am raking it in right now. <laughs> I want to talk about gap years a little more. And by the way, listeners, I'll include a link to gap year association. And that's a website where you can just search for a ton of different gap year programs. You talked about there should be something intellectual. I also think about a lot of our kids may be burned out. Uh, they may be struggling with anxiety, depression, and other mental health challenges and will need some time to kind of decompress. So say there's a student who wants to spend that time exploring something that has nothing to do with what they might go to college, but it's very calming and regulating. Is there benefit to that? I want to give listeners a sense of there are just so many ways this could look. Yes. I mean, when I, when I say something intellectual too, I've sort of assigned students, okay, you're taking gap year. I want you to read one book a month, short book. If you're not a good reader, I want you to read, watch one documentary a week, whatever it may be. So there's some kind of intellectual component, but look, after three years of pandemic, forget about different learners or not different. Learners. There is an epidemic among students of anxiety, of depression, of need for social adjustment, if you will. This could be a blessing for a lot of students, and it doesn't have to do with how they learn. So it's fine if they if they need to just decompress. There's nothing the matter with that. You don't want them to go. Colleges don't want them to go there if they're anxiety ridden. Now, it's not to say a year will solve it, but a year with therapy, a year with kind of exercise, a year with kind of thinking things over, a year with just getting a chance to rebound could be a real life changer for kids. And Debbie, I want to be honest and say that one of the biggest problems I've seen for this, one of the biggest obstacles is what I call the gossipy J-Lo and competitive Charlie, which is your neighbor, somebody you knew back when who says, well, my kid's going to two Ivy League program run by two Ivy Leagues and is going to get a some such degree. And we are so because of social media and frankly, because of some parents who don't know how to be sensitive they have to tell you how great their kids and what achiever their kids and how their kids started reading when the kid was one year old. Well, you know what? Some of us have kids who did not do that, who have incredible strengths, but they might be more hidden strengths. And so the big problem is these braggart parents and these parents who are boasting, these parents who are sort of making us feel like we're doing something wrong. There's no right way to education. Education is a continuum. It starts when the kid is learning to talk and before, and it goes right through college and grad school or through alternative paths as the case is for my kids. So I really feel strongly. I, I bumped into one of these parents who had to tell me so much about the achievements of this kid. And all right, just relax and enjoy it. But don't tell me, don't imply that my kids aren't as good because that's nonsense. So when we get over that, you know, comparing to Joneses or the competitive Charlies, as I say, we can really start thinking about what's best for our kid, not what society thinks is best for our kid. 
Yeah. No, I appreciate you bringing that up. I call that the compare and despair cycle. And it's real. And I think social media, especially as we're recording this, it is coming up to graduation. So there are pictures of graduation or award ceremonies for students and all the college decision day posts. And I know that can be very triggering for a lot of families who feel like that I'm not going to be able to participate in this in the same way, or they're getting questions, what's happening with your child, and that can be really uncomfortable. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Anything else on gap years before we pivot to talking about some other options? I want to pivot because I think that the experience of my own kid is actually illustrative of what's out there. We've sort of come up with this idea in the last few decades in this country that college is the only path. Right now, if you look at salaries in the New York area and the LA area for HVAC, air conditioning people, tech people, people fixing cars... We're talking about 100 grand, 125, 150 grand, whatever it may be, I, really generous salaries and bonuses, nurses to people who don't need bachelor's degrees, who maybe need an associate degree, maybe just need a certification. There are so many people out there who are succeeding in other ways. And I, again, I'll point to my son. He's, he owns his own business. He is a dog handler. That means he takes dogs to shows around the country for his clients. Now, when I talked to you before, he was working for someone else who's apprenticing for someone else. But since then, he's branched out and started his business. So I know that differently wired kids are often really off the charts smart. So I don't want to generalize because a lot of them go to college and excel. But some of them have social issues that make four-year college different. Some of them have issues about learning a language or doing reading that limit the number of colleges they can apply to or make them want to do something different for a while. And that's okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, I want to talk a little bit about community college and then dive deeper into this idea of apprenticeship and also just talk about timelines. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. 
I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Let's talk about community college for a little bit because I think there's this idea that even if you take a gap year, then you're still looking at a four-year degree. And at least here in the US, you go away and you live in the dorms. And it's not the case in a lot of other countries and European countries in the UK, but that's certainly the primary expectation or vision here. But community college can be just a great option for students who aren't ready for that level of independence or may want to dip their toe in the water and explore things. So can you talk about why community college can be so beneficial for neurodivergent kids, as well as what that actually looks like as a starting point and transferring and how that might evolve down the road. Sure. And I will say that first and most important, for a lot of the students I've worked with who are neurodivergent, high school was not a fun time. It was a really taxing time socially or academically or just in terms of trying to do sports. And so Community college gives them a fresh start, and it's a chance to take different courses. So if you really think you want to go into engineering, you try that, but it's not. there's no real consequences for it. Nobody's going to see your record if it doesn't work out. If you fail a course, it doesn't work out, you wipe it off the record. If you want to do some remedial stuff and get to be a better writer, you can do that. If you want to take photography and try commercial photography or all kinds of digital programs, you can do that. So I really recommend that as a chance to dip in and try things. Now, if you have an idea what college you want to go to, and let's say it's an in-state college and a state college, these days they're much better at articulation, at agreeing that a community college course will count for credit at a state college. You, you can check that out on the website. You can ask them. But if it's an, you're thinking about a private college out of state or a private college that doesn't have any articulation agreements with this community college, you can ask them too. Here's a course I'm thinking about taking. If I end up at this college a year or two from now, will this count? It doesn't always. And that's that's okay because community college is inexpensive and you can certainly find a college that will honor many, many, many of the community college courses you take. California, North Carolina, Florida, I believe they're getting much better at having articulation agreements between the two-year and the four-year colleges. And in fact, the two-year colleges are changing now. They're starting to offer four-year degrees sometimes. It's a misconception in this country that most Americans, young Americans, go to a four-year residential college where they live. It's actually not the mainstream. It's just a sort of in, in our neighborhoods in Brooklyn and places like that, we just assume that's the norm. So I think a community college is a great idea, but I will also say there's like there's Khan Academy, which has free courses. You can really challenge yourself. There's a lot of private colleges and state colleges that are now doing online courses. So I just think it's a great idea to try something like that. 
it can really make a difference. I mean, there's Mansfield Hall, which has agreements with universities in Vermont and Wisconsin, where you can take courses and sort of see how that goes in a gap time. So there are a lot of ways to push yourself and try and experiment and see if you're college ready, because not everybody is three months after high school. I really like that. And I think it can be such a great option, especially, again, socially, some students, the thought of living in a dorm or starting over without friends can be overwhelming if you're on a college campus like that. So this is a way to kind of experiment, perhaps stay at home, and then have that long runway that so many of our kids need. Yeah. Or, I mean, you do a Prince Harry, right? Like Prince Harry went to Africa to live with a family friend, or you go to live with a relative somewhere and try that, like living in a new place, being off on your own. Look, I mean, a lot of what we're trying to do for our differently wired kids, frankly, is let them get their wings and start to soar. And so part of that sometimes means venturing away from home, either you're in the suburb and the kid starts going to city for a job or for classes or living with somebody in a different place. And then it sometimes takes them a while. It's okay. They need time. But if you're doing that on top of the pressure of the first year of a four-year college, that's a lot to expect. You mentioned apprenticeship before. So I'd love to know for students or for parents who are listening, whose students are not looking at a formal gap year, are not applying to colleges, are not considering community college and kind of just need a big break and time to get their nervous systems more regulated and to figure out what do I want to do? What are some other options and maybe talk about what an apprenticeship is and some other things that we could be helping our kids look into? Sure. So I mentioned that first in context of my son. So in that case, I was out as a journalist roving the country. I, I met an amazing woman who had a dog handler on her property. And I arranged for my son to be an apprentice. Now that's actually in those days, that was a few years ago. That's a nice way of saying he was cheap, unpaid labor. But this woman who he worked for was fantastic. She really taught him, you know, how to give medicine to dogs and groom dogs and show dogs and all that stuff. So it was amazing through context, through a union, through a community college, through a work training program. There are all kinds of things. If you look up apprenticeships, this is very common in Germany. It's actually the root in the U.S. I think it's becoming more common because there's so many trades or so many businesses that need somebody who, who has to, who, to learn the ropes. And these days they are not unpaid labor like my kid is. Usually there's some kind of stipend. There's some kind of hourly pay because the courts have cracked down on all these unpaid internships. I happen to think that that was a great thing for my kid, but it would have been better if he'd gotten some spending money out of it. So it's a fantastic way to learn. And as I said on your show, I'll say this again, three years ago, I said this. If you, as a 17, 18 year old, a high school senior or after that, if you try a field in architecture or engineering or nursing, and you dabble in it, you take a course or you do an apprenticeship and you find you don't like it after six months. Well, that's just about as valuable as finding something you do like. It's okay not to understand what a field is like when you're 17 or 18 or 19. And so you you try and you do it, but there are all kinds of ways to experiment and more power to you if you find that you don't like it. So I was on a board, a volunteer board of a nonprofit to help high school seniors get internships and apprenticeships. And we have found there are other groups like that around the country. So sometimes those can actually start in senior year of high school or a group like that can point you to what to do after graduation. And that's a powerful thing. And I really, frankly, would rather that my kids did that than run off to college because 
then they have a better idea of what they really want to study. Then they have a year or so of being more mature, which is not a bad thing in the society. And as you said, they've gone through a stressful time exacerbated by the pandemic and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. I think time benefits everybody. I hope that this is a shift that we're seeing generally with students that we just kind of get off this treadmill, that we just think things have to look a certain way. I think back of my own university. I was 17 when I went to college. And believe me, I wanted to leave home. Like I was ready to get out of the house. But I was a disaster on so many levels. I had no executive function skills. I didn't know how to study. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was not very happy. I kept wanting to transfer it. I wanted to take a year off and go waitress and ski and I didn't even know how to ski, but it sounded good at the time. And it wasn't for me until I went to graduate school. I was working full time, went to grad school at night, and I was in my mid-20s. And I was like, oh, this is what learning is like. So I think just that reminder of our kids have a really long runway, and it might take them a while. And that's totally fine. It's okay for them to have the space to figure out what do I like to do or what don't I like to do can be, as you said, an even more powerful motivator sometimes. Now, I'd mentioned a couple other things I had. I've recommended a couple of students who I just felt were, they just weren't ready for college that they do a PG year, post-grad year. So you go to a boarding school and you do a year. Now that can be expensive, but they do have scholarships sometimes. Then you can really study like a really cool magazine writing class or a class on filmmaking or you can do, you've sort of gotten your requirements out of the way for high school, but you're not ready for college. And then you can see what you like. Now, again, that's not for everybody. I did not grow up in the world of boarding schools, but I ended up being a teacher at Deerfield Academy when I was working on one of my books, and I was blown away by this world I didn't know about. And some of my favorite students were PG kids. They're, frankly, to get better and bulkier and, and more ready for sports, usually, or they their parents felt that they needed a year to mature. They were 19. They were not kids. They're fun to teach, and they really approached learning with it a little bit, I'd say, more maturity and more centered attitude. That's a good thing. But we have to sort of break away from the, what the norm is because the norm is changing. I've never heard of a postgraduate year. So that's super interesting. Not part of my world either. I know that a lot of schools in the UK have something called a foundation year for students who are coming, especially from the US, to have that time to be better prepared to be a college student. Before we kind of wrap up, I'm just wondering, is there anything else that we haven't touched upon that you would really want listeners to know if they have students who are in high school who are creeping closer to graduation and they're feeling really overwhelmed about how to support their child's journey in whatever way it looks like? Sure. I, I will mention a few things that I've been looking into. And as I said, I was at U.S. News. I crisscrossed the country going to college campuses. I had a couple of fellowships at colleges and teaching time at colleges. And so I have been impressed by the fact that a lot of colleges now are really looking at how they can help kids who are differently wired, different learners. If I recall correctly, this changes over time, but Hofstra and Adelphi on Long Island, Marist in Poughkeepsie, upstate New York, University of Vermont, actually, Muhlenberg outside of Philadelphia. These schools all have, I believe, now it does change, but I've heard from parents and I've seen on visits over the years, have learning centers, have help centers, have writing centers, have places where neurodivergent or different learners can really get some one-on-one -on -one help. And frankly, if you're going to send a kid to college who's wired differently, you might have a really, really serious conversation with the kid and with your own kind of financial planning, because 
I have found that sometimes it takes them five years to graduate, six years to graduate. They cannot start with a full load of courses, especially freshman year. And that's okay, but it, it has implications for how much you pay in tuition and housing. I've also found that some of the families I work with, besides paying extra sometimes for a kind of a learning center, a support center, they also end up getting an executive functioning coach. That won't surprise your parents. But again, when you're doing the calculations of a college, you've got to figure that there might be the extra cost of that. It's just how it is. And also, I would say parents, look, a lot of us are sort of hovercraft parents, right? We've been behind our kid or above our kid, like, you know, managing in high school. You're not going to have a 504 plan. You're not going to have IEP. If your student does go to college, it's a scary thing because the student has to advocate. And you you have to find that role, which is really difficult. I know this as a parent. I know this as someone who's worked with these amazing kids. You have to find a way that you, mom, dad, whoever, aunt, uncle, grandpa, you are not contacting professors. So that means that you're the student who has some kind of support specialist, some kind of person on campus, some kind of learning expert or executive function coach. The student has to learn to talk to the professor or work with the other professional. You should not be contacting the administration and the professors. That's the job of your student or the person who's trained to work with your student. And that means letting go. So I've actually found, frankly, that while the adjustment for different learners can be trying and taxing and, and an adventure for the student after high school, it's just as much an adventure for the parent and a good adventure and also not not always an easy adventure. So I, but I will close by saying I have worked with kids who are neurodivergent and they're so powerful. Listen, if we can spread the word that people have to respect our kids, people should not demean our kids and tell us how successful their own kids are. If our kids could be the voice of that, the next generation on college or in internships or apprenticeships or jobs, then we're doing something right. Yes. Could not agree more with that sentiment. I just want to say to, for listeners, I'm going to include a link to, there's a website called College Autism Spectrum also that shares colleges that have programs specifically for autistic students. And I agree, it is pretty exciting to see more colleges having these learning centers, often at an additional cost, but it's still good to know that they exist. And I'm also just going to throw out Elizabeth Hamlet's name. She's been on the show twice before. and. Her new book is called Seven Steps to College Success, and her focus is on helping neurodivergent learners make that transition smoothly and understand how to navigate the special education supports that colleges might have. Dave, this has been a super interesting conversation. I really appreciate everything that you've shared today. And I think this is just hopeful and insightful for parents who are feeling really daunted by a path that may not be so clear. So thank you for that. Is there a place that you'd like to direct listeners to check out your work? My website is davemarcus.com. Not David, but davemarcus.com. It's my name, essentially. And I have some articles that I've written about these topics on there, some adventures of my own as a parent of of a young man who's a different learner. And I'm in the process of learning, as I said, I don't claim to be the expert on these topics, but I do try to put things on the website. It's a little bit outdated. I'm going to refresh it, but davemarcus.com. And, you know, I love hearing from parents and I love working with parents. And I also try to do the right thing and do volunteering with parents who are going through a hard time. It's been a really 
tough three years for all of us. I've seen these kids thrive in the workplace, in families, on college campuses. And that's that to me is, makes it all worthwhile when you're going through things as a parent with a 15-year-old or 14-year-old or 12-year-old who's having some reading issues or some studying issues, executive function issues, to see them grow up and do their thing has just been amazing for me. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you again for joining me today. This has been super interesting. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. To go deeper into this episode, visit the extensive show notes page. For every episode, there's a dedicated page on my website with links to all the resources mentioned, a full transcript, and a podcast player with key takeaways marked so you can easily go back and re-listen to the sections you're most interested in. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. The Tilt Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Tilt Parenting. This episode was edited by Andrea Curtis Amasquita, and show notes were put together by myself, Andrea, and Lindsay McFadden. If you get a lot out of this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. On Patreon, you can sign up to make a small monthly contribution, as little as $2 a month, and it's super easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash parenting to learn more or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. To follow Tilt Parenting on social media, go to at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by the listeners who need it by subscribing and leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information about this podcast or any of the resources that Tilt offers, visit TiltParenting.com. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.